We have to make sure that all of our children understand they have to give back. This is The Playbook. Have I got a treat. Alfred Kahn, he is the CMO of Vivi, CMO of Vitaprince. He is the chairman of Kid Tagus Entertainment, but he is someone who I look up to as a philanthropist, humanitarian. He's changing the world. He understands capitalism and the purpose of capitalism better than any other entrepreneur that by coincidence I met. There are no coincidences. Welcome to The Playbook, Alfred. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So I got to give a little background to everyone. I'm sitting at the last minute invited to this extraordinary foundation event for the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And uh, I was so excited at all my children in New York City. And unbeknownst to me, I sit down to learn about the First Responders Children's First, is it First Responding Children's Foundation. Um, and where, you know, it supports my cousin is on the board and he says, Dave, you, you're really going to love this. You know, everything that you do for our first responders, this is we do. We're doing a movie about first responders with Angelo Pizzo, who did Rudy and Hoosiers. And Dave, you're going to love this. And I, I went, you know, to support the foundation, but also to be right there on the parade. And all of a sudden I hear this story about Alfred Kahn and someone who grew up kind of like me with nothing and had built this empire by hard work, by being honest with character and had his trials and tribulations in life. And all he was doing now with his successes was giving back. And I'm going to start with the success side of things uh, with what you're doing with Vitaprince, Vivi, and of course your entertainment company. But what has inspired you to continue to do these things. I'd love a little bit of the background that I got to hear of your story as a child of, you know, that circumstance that causes you to have the desire that you must be what you can be. Oh, thank you, David. Um, I'm honored to hear your remarks. I don't deserve them, but I'm thank you for them. Um, well, when I, when I was growing up and uh, I was growing up in, on Long Island and it was in a town and, and uh, my father was diagnosed with stomach cancer, and I was about, uh, you know, I guess 14, 12, 14. And uh, uh, obviously, the prognosis for that type of an illness then was pretty much horrible. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, he passed away uh, on Christmas, and I was, I think, 15. And he had not really planned really for the family, uh, no, I'm not, no disrespect. So the, my mother didn't have any money. Uh, you know, uh, there was really no money coming in. So I had to, you know, start doing things to try and help that family. But I also put together a situation that said, I don't want to be in this situation, you know, my whole life. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to be in this place where I don't know if I could it was literally, I don't know if I was going to be able to have a next meal. It was really pretty, pretty crazy. And also, I, I, I wanted, you know, if I was going to have kids, I wanted them to have the, the experiences that we, I saw everybody else having when they went away on spring break, where they did this and that, which I never could do. So that was really the impetus to try and figure out how to make a living, you know. And as you did that, you made a living. Uh, you had one of the most successful companies bringing in some of the biggest uh, names and brands uh, into America. And well, I'll let you tell what those were, 
but then 9-11 hits and, so, and somehow this strikes a chord of your loss that you were, that you received in, in 15 years old. And, and you went on a journey that, you know, wasn't as easy as it would seem to support our first responders uh, because it meant so much to you, but you actually uh, faced resistance <laughs> for your, your efforts. And uh, you know, it just shows that, you know, sometimes the universe says, how much do you really want this? Uh, tell me about your success, you know, in your first business and why, the 9-11 situation really, uh, you know, inspired you to reach out and to fight. You had to literally fight to help. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I, you know, long story short, I, you know, when I got out of graduated college, I went to the army and I got out of the army. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I got the, I got, a, I got a job as a buyer trainee with a company called Bigger somewhere out. The apartment store chain. And at that time, apartment stores were the business models, right? You had, you know, all these apartment store chains. And in process of being, um, uh, you know, trained, they would they'd flip you from department to department to department. And eventually I got flipped into the toy department. And I was awestruck by what the toy department was. It was like the whole world was in this toy department because everything that happens in the adult world ultimately gets translated down to a toy. And so I saw you know, washing machines and clothing, and I said, this is what I want to do. So eventually became the toy buyer for them. And then uh, <clears throat> was got a little bit of a reputation of being able to pick things pretty well. And I was hired by a company called Coleco. And Coleco was a uh, swimming pool manufacturer. And I put them into a number of different things. I put them into electronics, which at that time was just starting, you know, handheld games, a lot of licensed products, you know, got the first license for uh, Smurfs, you know, for them. And in the process, I found a, you know, a, a, an artist in Cleveland, Georgia, who was developing this, this product where they would adopt a uh, one-of-a-kind, you know, doll. So I, I bought the rights, uh, created something called Cabbage Patch Kids. So that was the first thing that really, uh, yeah, I really was able to um, you know, do. But I also, then I, after I left Coleco, I decided, that sounds crazy today, Dave, but it said that the future is going to be television for kids. At that time, there wasn't any cable. Right. There was like four, you know, four, I think, broadcast networks. And I believe that television was going to be the driver, you know, for kids to purchase products. And I got involved with that. And I also believe that a lot of the stuff that we we're going to be using would be coming from the Asian market. So I want to spend a lot of time in, in, in and one of my first clients at uh, four kids was Nintendo. They hired me as their licensing company uh, because I knew them through Coleco. And I went to Japan all the time and I saw a concept called Pocket Monsters in Japan, which you know, was really successful. And I said, wow, this is interesting. And I uh, found out that in Japan, everything's owned by consortiums, right? There's like four or five companies. And I found out one of the companies that owned this thing was, uh, was Nintendo. So I uh, approached them about, can I get the rights to bring pocket marches out to the rest of the world? And they went, no way, not, no chance, no, no, not doing it because it's not, it's something the American kids will never get because it's a, it's a, uh, it's a role-playing game at that time, which meant you, you would get something in writing, you had to respond in writing, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a card game, of course, and everything else. Well, it took me a long time to convince them that, you know, we should give it a shot uh, they did. They were afraid, as the Japanese always are, of failure. 
They were afraid that if something didn't work, it would be on their back. And I said, okay, look, we'll launch it under Four Kids Entertainment. I will be the the, the front man. If it, if it bombs, it's, it's my bomb, you know? And I gave them a substantial amount of money based on what I had at that time. And then, you know, we launched it, but it was also a big pain in the neck. No one wanted it because it was anime. No one knew what the hell, they'd never seen anime. So getting it on television was a problem. Getting licenses were a problem, but but look, it exploded. It's now the number one property in the history of the kids, but in the world is up to about $170 billion in sales. Uh, and that led me to, you know, all kinds of other things, whether it be Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, uh, Ninja Turtles, they also you know, started branding for you know all kinds of brands, whether it be World Wrestling Federation, James Bond. So that grew into that particular parameter. When 9-11 hit, um, uh, of course, the whole city was aghast. I was actually got a call because I've always been involved with law enforcement foundations. So I got a call that morning from the DEA Foundation and said, do you want to go down? There's an accident at the World Tra- at, the, at Twin Towers. And initially, they thought it was an accident. And they said the plane went into the tower, but it was, you know, so we'd like to go see it. And I said, sure. They picked me up in a car. We're driving down the FDR expressway. And all of a sudden, another plane hits the second tower. And all of a sudden, they realized it's a terrorist attack. So we were, we were whisked back to the DEA headquarters, which, which we were locked in for about seven hours while they figured out what to do you know, and everything else. And then, of course, everybody in the city, all the major companies were trying to figure out what to do to help the people that were involved with that particular tragedy. Uh, and of course, one of my first board members was the guy that ran the Twin Towers Fund. So he basically was responsible for raising you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to help you know, the first responders who were involved in that particular scenario. But then I it hit me that, unlike myself, when you lose a parent at a young age, it's a really defining moment because you, you then you don't get the experiences that those people have. So for instance, how many kids are successful because their parents help them you know, establish uh, not only uh, what's important, but how you do it. So I felt that, wow, these kids, were there 800 kids at least that had gotten uh, lost a parent that morning. And what was going to happen to them? Not, I wasn't worried about them necessarily financially, but emotionally. And how do you deal with the loss of a parent? And um, especially going into the holiday season, because we're going into Thanksgiving. I didn't know anybody at City Hall, so I called up. Uh, I had this idea. I, I took my car and I drove down the parade route. And I saw there was a, a restaurant called ESPN Zone at that time. Yep. That was on the parade route. So I called them and I said, what do you do on Thanksgiving morning? He said, we're closed because of the parade. I said, well, could you be open? Could you be open? And he said, yeah, we could be open. How many people do you see? They see 1,200 people or something like that. I said, I'm going okay, to put a tentative hold on this. I'm not sure I could pull this off. So I called the mayor's office. Why well, didn't no one at the mayor's office? And I got this guy, right, who was this guy named Larry, Larry um, uh, who was the mayor's general counsel, Larry Levy. And um, I said to him, look, I have an idea. Uh, what happens if I would rent out the ESPN zone and you invited every family in the first responder community who had lost someone at 9-11, I will supply tons of toys. I'll pay for the, the breakfasts and basically no publicity, uh, just they get together and we have some, some, at least the kids will have some fun. The parents will be obviously very difficult. 
Well, he, he told me, look, here's about the 90 other person that's offered to do something. Most of you people are full of prunes. How do I know you're real? And I said, good question. I don't know what to say. You. I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Uh, but he basically, he went to talk to the mayor. They, they vetted me out and they said, OK, we'll do it. And we had about that 1,200 people that first that first breakfast. Uh, it was the saddest day because you had the mayor, you had the oh, the commissioners, you had people from Washington, and, and everybody's hysterical, right? Everybody's crying. But the kids who were really young, you know, a lot of these kids were three, four years old. They couldn't get over it. They were you know, sitting on the curb to watch the parade. Yeah. They had a, there was a game room in the ESPN zone. And after that first um, event, I started thinking about what happens to these kids every year. It's going to be a, something that's going to stain with them for a long time. And also, what happened to kids who lost parents before 9-11? What happened to kids who lose parents after 9-11? They were first responders. So I decided to form a foundation that would uh, help, you know, whatever way we could. And thanks to you know, people like your cousin and, and my, and my, uh, and, you know, the difference that you know, the president of the foundation, you know, who happens to be my wife, uh, um, uh, it's grown exponentially. And then when COVID hit, my wife said, we have to pivot to COVID. And we got very lucky because we started to set up a COVID-19 relief fund. And um, iHeartRadio was running that concert with all those celebrities uh, for, for, you know, for the first responder. We became their charity partner on that. And that drove us to raising, you know, millions and millions of dollars of which we gave out, you know, for PPE, for emergency grants to first responders, hotel rooms. First responders didn't want to take the disease home to their, to their children. So we put them in the hotels. Uh, we gave out, you know, all kinds of things. And of course, we always gave out scholarships and, and, and emergency grants. So, it became apparent that our message is our mission is not really going to be complete in that regard. So we then continued to uh, evolve. Now, in the process, I you know I always am looking for new things in relative to a business model. Yep. And um, I you know another crazy story. I had a guy that I had met I don't know during the Pokemon days who lived in New Zealand and he wanted the rights to Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh trading cards in New Zealand and Australia. I didn't know this guy from Adam, but he owned a couple of card shops in those markets. And of course, that's a place to sell them. So I licensed him uh, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh for cards. And I found out he was 19 years old when I licensed him. <laughs> and obviously he made a, a lot of money and he came back to me, you know, what, 30 years, 35 years later and said, look, I got an idea for a digital collectible universe. And I went, what, what is that? And we met a number of times and he explained to me that it was a, that he believed that everything would go digital eventually anyway. And these were about NFTs and the blockchain and whoa, you know, whoa, I, it was like, I know what you mean. <laughs> and, but then when I started to look at it and start to understand it, I said the thing that he would be lacking would be what what are we, what are your NFTs going to be you know and he said well I need licenses you know I need to get to the biggest licensing companies and you can do it because your background and I said uh, also I needed to a name I need positioning lines so I took a I, I, it was interesting to me so I got involved with him four years ago and I introduced them to every major licensor we got meetings with either the general managers or the presidents of these companies. 
And one by one, they started to fall in to play. And of course, we ended up with the biggest coup. We got Disney and Marvel and Star Wars and all that stuff. And, you know, but again, in my mind, who knows what's going to happen with this thing? And we worked on it for four years, you know, and eventually when we launched, uh, you know, about literally a year ago, uh, it went nuts. And so <laughs> basically um, uh, we ended up with a, you know, an amazing thing called Vivi, which, which we, I named it. And, um, and now that's going you know, full bore in the same process. Uh, when I was now looking for licenses for Vivi, I ran into a company called 451 Media, which I didn't never heard of. Okay, I walked into that office, and the two guys that ran that were guys I've known for 30 years. Again, another two guys <laughs> that I knew. And they said, I said, what are you doing? I explained what I'm doing. And they said, look, we're working on a new process of printing, a special printing process that prints inks on materials. And one of the things we're working on is a COVID-19 uh, mask. Well, COVID-19 was obviously really you know, happening at that moment. I got sick before that, and I got sick again. Uh, so they showed me the process where they developed this ink that they could print on, um, uh, you know, on uh, uh, a mask, and it actually deactivated COVID within a minute, which that's crazy. No one's ever done that. Well, that started another complete odyssey about you know, marketing it and naming it and getting approvals because it's a medical device. It's not a, a mask that like you just, it's a real medical mask. It's good for operations. It's good for everything. Well, we, so we now started the process of approvals. We got you know, Safra, which was Africa. We got CE, which is Europe. And now we're, we're waiting for the final four, 510K from the U.S. government. And we're, we're now marketing these masks. And it's going to be pretty interesting. You know, it's going to be pretty exciting. The other side of that technology is you can actually print that ink on anything. So we can make wallpaper that'll be antiviral. We can make air conditioning filters that'll be antiviral. So this is going to be a pretty amazing thing. And um, so, you know, we're involved in that. And then the last thing was I wanted to start a new 20th century toy company. I looked at the market for the toy business and I felt it was kind of broken because you had three customers. You had, you know, Target, Walmart, and Amazon. So anything new and exciting, you weren't ever going to get because they weren't going to buy it. Right. I also felt a category that was important that no one had ever hit on in kids was wellness products for kids. Wellness is a huge business, as you imagine. So we started a company called Contagious that, you know, the name obviously was, it was... <laughs> We did the name before we did the pandemic, but it was supposed to be, you love this. It was called Contagious. The positioning line was Epidemic IP. <laughs> nice. <laughs> was like, get rid of that line, right? <laughs> right. But the whole business model on Contagious is um, basically a incubator for new ideas in the toy business and also wellness products and all this direct to consumer on a, on, you know, on a website's and that's now going to be up and running shortly. And one of the first things we have, I bought the number one show in China, you know, the way I did with Pokemon. Uh, I got it back and I realized I couldn't localize it because it was just so weird. So I asked the Chinese if they would do a brand new version of it if, I, if we rewrote it. They did. They launched it in September. Number one show in the history of China, 7 billion views. And now we're launching that in the rest of the world. So 
it's a crazy ride. So all that you know goes back to uh, you know what we want to do with the children. So we've got the foundation involved in a number of things that would be incremental to them in terms of getting money, et cetera. Well, Alfred, you know, there's a saying doing well to do good and doing good to do well. And you are the epitome of that. If it passed anyone by, as I, you know, let you explain uh, that story, imagine the, the brands, the, the size, scope and scale of what you've been involved with. And all I can think of in something that I try to help empower children with is the importance of having an open mind, an open heart and open hands. And I'm getting choked up just thinking about how much you have accomplished, but not for yourself, for like you said before we even started the podcast, for a purpose to leave to other people so that they have something that you and I didn't have, right? I'm a kid who my mom packed my dinner in a paper bag, worked two jobs just so, you know, I could have dinner. And, you know, she worked two jobs without my dad being around. And, you know, your story resonates, but despite the challenges in this great country of ours, you know, here you have this open mind from a department store saying, wait a second, I think there's, you know, a bigger model here. And, in, you know, you're in your seventies and it still hasn't stopped, whether it's the Vitaprints, you know, the Veriside that is the printing mechanism that will change uh, that face. Then the biggest licenses that you hold in digital collectibles, you know, these uh, NFTs and blockchain, everyone thinks it's for the 30 and 20 year olds watch out because VB has the biggest properties in the world. And then of course you even have a new podcast you're releasing to share these stories called got to catch them all. Uh, and there are lessons in these stories. And I want everyone hopefully to go back and listen to the lessons because I sat quietly learning and inspired by all that you have uh, accomplished in, in your beginning of your life here I'm, I'm praying we got 40 or 50 more years of you you've survived covid I'm not twice, sure so. really that way but <laughs> I also i think david look i look at you the same way you know so i did some homework on you as well because i always think you know it's important to you know have an understanding of who you'll be talking to and you know i can't tell you how impressed i was with everything that you've been doing this this, this getting the but nobel prize yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable yeah junior uh, achievement that, was nominated that is the, that is the uh ultimate, you know, ultimate, you know, tribute. But, but I think the point is we have to get away from the politics. We have to get, we have to, because I don't care about, frankly, I, you know, I worry about the, 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 uh, the vision of the country, but there's one thing I think we all agree on that's children. And I think, you know, I'd love to see more politicians have platforms that are relegated to that, because that's something I think we could get everybody to agree on, whether you uh, whatever your political aspiration is, the families uh, are so ultimately the most important element in all this. So I you know, think we have to do that uh, and that if we can do it through toys or games and we can do it through foundations, that's, that's the most important element. I also feel that um, we have to make sure that all of our children understand they have to give back. And I, you know, I have a, one quick story, which I think is really great. Is a couple that uh, Joey and I, who actually introduced Joey and I together, and he unfortunately passed away. And uh, his name—he is, is. They had two kids, right? And this guy was a billionaire, a billionaire. He built so much real estate in New York, and he had two two boys. And the two boys were told at a young age 
they have to give back. And so, so when they went on vacations, where'd they go? They went to see the po poverty in Africa. They went to see the poverty in India. And, they, and then the mother, Gail Furman, was always in, introducing them to problems relative to children. Well, today, uh, Jesse Furman is a, is a federal judge in New York, and this, his brother was the chief economic advisor to Obama for eight years. So they've given, they spent their lives giving back to, to the society they were, but that was all generated by their parents, right? Because if the parents hadn't been that way, who knows, because you know, they were you know, they're billionaires, they could have anything they want. So I love that. So I think, yeah, it's interesting because uh, one of the things that I was taught relates to toys in that manner. And, you know, one of my biggest fears is probably yours is with our own children. You know, I can't teach them to be poor and I can't teach them what I learned by being poor. But with my toys, uh, one of the things that we did every year, birthdays, Christmas, all the holidays that we would get gifts for every gift or toy you got as a child, you would have to give pick one and give it back and give it away. And that, you know, now that my children are older, you know, and have studied in, you know, we have a foundation in Africa, we build community centers and schools and water. And I'm the wow. chairman of Unstoppable Foundation. And they've, you know, on their own gone into South America, into China, in, into Africa as well, the same way. It's amazing how those little things, you know, when, when they were five, six and seven, change the way that they look at things in abundance. And uh, I just am so grateful that, the universe, I, I wish I had time on this podcast. We have to end. But the universe literally bumped us into each other three different times. And, and Jillian and that's the craziest thing. And one other thing I just want to add that the foundation, once the masks are approved for the 510K, we're going to give every first responder mask in the United States. Oh, wow. We're committed to that. You know, there, there, it won't be enough forever, but it'll be enough to get them started. So that's something that the, the uh, company is committed to. They'll be donating millions of masks, you know, at no charge to first responders once we have the, the 510K. Well, send my love to everyone there in New York City, especially your beautiful wife, Thank Alfred Kahn, the incredible philanthropist, an idol, uh, a new friend and mentor of mine. Thank you for all the great lessons. I look forward to doing more with you.